listeners, welcome to the AC Podcast. My name is Troy. Your host for today's episode will be Steve Kim. On this week's episode, Andy, Steve, and Wes sit down and respond to an interview done by Alex O'Connor, otherwise known as the Cosmic Skeptic, with one of the most well-known or prominent atheist figureheads, Richard Dawkins. Do theists have any good arguments at all? Not according to Richard Dawkins. When asked what good arguments he had encountered, Dawkins replied that theists, including Christians, have no good arguments. If that seems like a pretty bold statement, you are not alone. Andy, Stephen West came together this week to offer their reactions to both O'Connor and Dawkins and to hash out some of the implications of such an extreme statement. Enjoy the podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the AC Podcast. Steve here. I am your host for the day. I'm here with Andy Steiger and Wes Huff. How are you doing, gentlemen? Present. Good to go. Good to go. Uh, something that you don't really get to see, our listeners and viewers, is that uh, we mightily struggle with technology just before we got on. It looks like everything is going great, so let's get into it. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about this video clip that's been going around recently. For those of you who don't know these names, uh, just keep these names in the back of your mind. Alex O'Connor, a.k.a. The Cosmic Skeptic is a very kind of popular YouTube atheist personality. And then he interviewed Richard Dawkins. Now, if you don't know who Richard Dawkins is, perhaps you've been living under a rock for the last 20 years or so. But he is uh, one of the most famous atheists out there today, or at least he was. I should say we'll get into that. But uh, Wes, you brought infamous, this- Infamous, maybe. Infamous. Yeah, that's a good word. Uh Wes, you brought this to our attention. So give us some background here. What are we talking about today? Yeah, so Cosmic Skeptic, who is a pretty popular YouTuber, he has over half a million subscribers on YouTube. He has, and he's done a number of interviews with a number of prominent Christians, um, both in the UK and in North America. He lives in the UK, I believe. Mm -hmm. He's certainly British. And I subscribed to him. And this popped up on my YouTube homepage, And I saw, oh, he interviewed Richard Dawkins. And then yesterday, there was a clip that was taken out of that where he asks, Alex O'Connor asks Richard Dawkins, of all the religious individuals who you've debated, who's the best? And Dawkins says, nobody. And I think, you know, since then, there's been a number of traction. I've seen it posted around on, on Twitter quite a bit. And our friend and friend of the ministry, Andy Bannister, posted an article on premier Christianity. And so I think it's gaining a, an appropriate amount of attention. And we just wanted to chat about that. Yeah. Chat about, you know, why why do we have these kind of reactions to these prominent figures? And particularly this one and his attitude with that question. The, it was a little bit more than that, too. And maybe we should just play the clip so that people could see it. Because he specifically asked him, you know, were, were there any good arguments or what was the best argument kind of thing? And, and he doesn't think there, there are any. Yeah, let's, let's, I'll share my screen. Um, give, give Steve a moment to just set up the video. Oh, he, he's going to, Wes is going to. Well, one of you sure. need to verbally, verbally set it up so that. Yeah. Okay, so I'll set it up what do you here. Mean verbally set it up. So yeah, I think Andy is right. There is 
definitely more to this. I think it'll help to watch the video clip here. It's a we'll just play a brief brief portion of it. So here we go. Who's the most formidable debate opponent that you have had in your career that you can think of now uh, on this question of God's existence? I don't think there are any. <laughs> um, not, not that not that I'm formidable myself, but 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 I I I don't think that there are any very good arguments. Um, no point in a debate where where you're sat there getting ready to get up and give your ten minute rebuttal while they're speaking, writing your notes and thinking, oh gosh, uh, what am I going to say to that? That that's that's a that's a fair point. I don't think so. Um, I mean, I don't want to sound arrogant. It's not that I've got great great points. It's just that I don't think there are any good points to be made. Now maybe it's something about the debate format as well. You know, everybody's so prepared that you know, yes. you're rarely caught off guard. Yes. Um, I mean, the sort of professional debaters on, on behalf of religion, uh, people like William Craig, um, I've, I've no time for him. I mean, he's, he, he, he's got this sort of loud, rather pompous voice and, and, and um, he says that's a premise one, deduction two, and things like that. And and the audience, <laughs> I suppose, is supposed to be impressed. Let's stop it there, because I think that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, what, what do you guys think of that? What's your first reactions? I have so many reactions. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Richard Dawkins is a gift that keeps giving of himself, <laughs> I think. Um, yeah. It, I mean, on the on the one hand, I appreciate the fact that he tries to be humble, right? It's not that I have all the good arguments, but I, I just don't think there are any good arguments. So it's a, it's a real interesting contrast because on the one hand, he tries to be humble. On the other hand, he is anything but humble when he that, says- That humility is couched. <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. And so that I, really stood out to me for one. Mm-hmm. What about you, you Andy? I, I, I guess one of the things that stands out to me is I, I'm almost kind of confused at one level where I'm not even sure whether or not he feels like he has any good arguments either. And is he just trying to say that this should be some sort of discussion? I, I mean, because the fact that he's kind of poking fun at Craig giving or using logic and, <laughs> you know, using logical Presenting terminology. philosophy. Presenting standard philosophical argumentation right. and being like, oh, well, that's just pompous. Yeah, and that's like textbook debate. Like, that's how you have a debate, is mm-hmm. you put forward your premises. So, mm-hmm. and then you have to, you know, you have to rebut those. And that that's actually one of the biggest critiques, though, that was leveled against the new atheists is, please stop debating William Lane Craig, because you guys don't know how to debate. And, and so I think yeah. that's that's a problem in of itself. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I thought was interesting in that response is that he was confusing because O'Connor wasn't actually asking whether Dawkins thought any of the rebuttals were true, just that they were good. I've definitely had skeptics pose questions to me that I thought were good questions. Absolutely. Good rebuttalists, mm-hmm. but thought that they were untrue. And it's almost as if, Dawkins could not grant that something could be both good and false at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like I think, I think the the uh, problem of evil is a good argument against Christianity mm-hmm. because it has a very you know a powerful logical but also emotional thrust to it. 
I don't necessarily think it undoes Christianity. Right. But I think that there are good objections. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I find fascinating, by the way, is because I, when I saw this clip, I was immediately reminded of this book. It's called Coming to Faith Through Dawkins. It was just released this last year. I mean, it's it's fresh off the the publishing floor, if you will. I don't know, the printer, the printing yeah. press. I don't know. In it, when you read it, it's a great read. And by the way, I got to give a shout out to our Apologetics Canada Conference. It's coming up March 1-2 here in British Columbia, because we have one of the authors in it, Ashley Landy, is going to be here with us at the conference. But when I was reading through this, it's a great book. It's a great read. But what was fascinating with people coming to faith and coming to faith through, and it's not just Dawkins in it. Like, for example, Ashley uh, really resonated with Christopher Hitchens. So it's 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 different people, different, you know, kind of new atheists that actually move them towards faith. And one of the one of the things that you see in it is how much that sort of posture that Dawkins has, where he doesn't grant you know anything and almost and has that more or less pompous attitude, really rubs people the wrong way and makes mm-hmm. them go, hmm, uh, I something something's going something that smell right here that you can't see any positive arguments. Yeah. And I think this has been a problem of the new atheism in general is that individuals who are experts on one specific topic or discipline start writing on areas where they're not experts and start to really flub it. And I think this is uh, the difference between Dawkins's work on um, biology, which is, as far as I know, top-notch, and then his work on philosophy and theology and something like the God delusion, which is just like, you know, you could you could have a problem passing a, a an intro class at, at a first year university kind of program because of that. I actually pulled up. So there was a review done by this guy named Terry Eagleton in the London Review when the God delusion came out, which is one of Dawkins's most prominent books. And I'll, I'll just read this for you because I thought that was in, this was interesting. He said, and this is not a Christian by any means, but he said, imagine someone holding forth on biology whose only knowledge of the subject is the book of British birds. And you have a rough idea of what it feels like to read Dawkins on theology. Card-carrying rationalists like Dawkins, who is the nearest thing to a professional atheist we have had since Bertrand Russell, are in one sense the least well-equipped to understand what they castigate since they don't believe there is anything there to be understood or at least anything worth understanding. Mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting. It's yeah. like the equivalent of someone reading the British book on birds, writing a textbook on biology is the equivalent of Richard Dawkins being an expert in biology, writing something on philosophy and theology. And I I think we're still seeing that. Mm-hmm. We're still seeing that. He still hasn't come to terms with the fact that there are other disciplines that have experts. Yeah. And I, I just find it really interesting that given the sort of lack of philosophical rigor in his writings, that his books were such a hit. Um, so that, that in and of itself concerns me. But on the other hand, mm-hmm. I, when I look at his reaction, I see a mirror image of that by some Christians who say um, that their you know atheism is this complete nonsense. There's well, at least some of us use that kind of language, right? Atheism makes no sense. It is this. Deb- I mean, I, I think atheism is wrong. 
certainly at the end of the day, it's it's wrong. But I don't think that atheists make no good arguments. That that's far from it. And so, in a sense, I, I look at them and I go, man, like that's uh, that's something that I have to be careful of as a Christian. I don't want to fall into that sort of triumphalism. You know, it's interesting, Steve. I talk about this sort of idea with parents where I just explain, listen, when you're having conversations with your kids and you're talking through these things, even if you might feel strongly about them, make sure that you're couching your terminology and demonstrating a posture of humility and love. I mean, you are talking about people here, and mm-hmm. first of all. And second of all, when you're dealing with ideas, you know, it's important to come at those from a posture of, of seeking to understand and at le- at some level, uh, a level of charity that it, at least makes you not look like a jerk. Because mm-hmm. it, it really is key and also can, can create the, you know, question of, you know, do, you know does, mo- in this case, does mom and dad really know what they're talking about? Because if they can't see any anything mm-hmm. positive or any anything negative, right? If you if you can't yeah. if you can't bridge that gap, because then what happens is is you start to explore those things for yourself, and you're like, well, I can, I, I can mm-hmm. see that that's a good argument against Christianity, or I can see this is a good argument against atheism, and yeah. right, and if you haven't been able to demonstrate that at all, you actually just demonstrate to you at least if we're talking about our kids here. It starts to raise questions for your kids going, I don't know if I can trust that you know what you're talking about. Yeah, that's that's the biggest thing is trust. Because when you say something so extreme as to there are no good arguments, and you're setting up setting yourself up really high, and when you set yourself up that high, when your foundation is removed, you're going to have to fall that far down. Um, and so, yeah, and, and I tell... When I talk to parents, one of the things that I'd like to point out is there's a difference between an argument being uh, true and sound versus something being persuasive. I mean, you can be persuaded by false things. I know I have been in the past. And so when your child is persuaded by something, right, don't just, that's what you want to kind of set your eyes on, not necessarily. So you, you you want to look at whether, you know, this is true or not, obviously, but what is it that persuaded you about this? Look at that together and how you go through that process. Your kids will remember that more than what it is you actually said. Yeah. Steel manning a position goes a long way. Right. And steel manning, for the listener who doesn't know that term, the opposite of a steel man would be a straw man, where you attack an argument that's not actually the argument that someone is making. Steel manning would be the opposite. You know, find the best version of that argument, and that's what you should interact with. Well, talking about uh, persuasiveness and being persuaded, it is interesting in this conversation where, I, I first of all, I just want to say that Alex did a great job in... Phenomenal job. In, in, in the interview. And why did he do such a good job, I would say? Because he can appreciate both sides of an argument. I actually really appreciate that about him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think even his reaction to this particular moment uh, shows that. where he Because he, he's talked to individuals like William and Craig. He's had them on his show. He knows that they have good arguments. Yeah. No, I, I appreciate it. Uh, and this is something that in the, in the New Atheist you really never saw. So in many ways for Alex, he's like, you know, kudos on you that 
you can at least have uh, a more respectful conversation and one that is more even-handed and fair, fair-minded, which is appreciated. Mm-hmm. I still think you're wrong, of course, but I get the impression that you can see the arguments, you know, more clearly than I felt with with uh, the others that we've that I've seen over the years. Now, what I find though truly interesting for me watching that interview was the reason why Dawkins has refused to debate uh, Craig. I've always wondered, at, you know, why it was, and I think that in some regards, people kind of postulated that it was a fear of Craig, and Craig is uh, so masterful at debates. There's no, there's no question about that. So I think this is one of the reasons why even Alex was pressing him on it is, you know, we've all debated him, but you, and it actually kind of looks bad on us because it has kind of seeded this idea that you're afraid of him. But in this dialogue, it's quite clear that that's not why uh, he just doesn't like him. No, that's yeah. true. If we and watch there's a specific that- reason why. Yeah, and if as you watch the clip a little further, Dawkins actually explains why. And one of the things that he's really repulsed by is uh, Craig's views on the slaughter of the Canaanites and the Midianites and Amalekites, so on and so forth, right? Uh, because as far as Dawkins is concerned, rather than like other more other saner theologians who actually just admit that these things didn't happen, he would say, right? Craig actually bites the bullet and defends this horrific slaughter of people. Oh, you know, like they say, the Midianites were sinful, and so they had to be slaughtered kind of thing. And he he finds that so morally egregious, right? And Craig is an apologist of that, and he wants to refute. You know, on, on that... I, what I thought was really interesting is closer to the beginning of this interview, Alex and Craig or Alex and Dawkins rather are going back and forth on like why they would say that they were necessarily an atheist. And Dawkins says to to Alex, you know, you're probably you probably have more moral objections. I like the problem of evil and those types of things, but I'm not really interested in those things. I just think that the the base presuppositions of Christianity are false. And so therefore I'm more interested on whether it's true than whether it's good. Mm -hmm. But then later on starts to highlight, you know, the reason he doesn't like individuals like Craig are moral reasons. Mm -hmm. And I found this constantly throughout this conversation is Dawkins keeps going back and forth when it's convenient to him. Oh, you know, I'm not a Christian. I'm not a Christian. I'm not religious because I just think it's false. I don't care about, you know, all that moral and beauty stuff, but then starts appealing to moralism. And even when they were talking about the origin of life says, yeah, I think we would probably find a theory at some point that was just so, so put together and convincing. And I remember thinking he's, uh, dare you say beautiful? (laughs) Dare you say like, that's an argument for beauty that we could figure out something that is just so impactfully beautiful that it had to be true. It's like, come on, you you have to figure out what your method is. You're all over the place. I know this listening to it. Uh, there were many people that were, uh, that have debated him that are groaning at this juncture because, Mm. uh, I, I mean, I just recently had been talking, couple months ago to john lennox about his debate with dawkins and 
so many things that Dawkins was saying about he'll only debate, you know, theologians that don't believe that Adam and Eve exist, for example, or, you know, that don't hold to this Old Testament, you know, nonsense. And I'm like, like the people that you, and, and Alex did push back on him on this. He's like, no, they, they would hold to that. Uh, there's actually not as much difference between those people like John Lennox and Dr. Craig as you would like to make out, for example. I would yeah. agree, though, of course, that Craig's response that that Dawkins is specifically referencing was not very eloquently put, let's say, or that or it wasn't very nuanced. And he just and he just did not like the the moral uh indifference i think that he felt to they say the slaughter or the killing of children and the like that you read about in places like joshua mm-hmm. and judges yeah and this is one of the critiques earlier on there was a list of essays called the straw dogs written by um i always get this wrong is it john gray john a gray is that yeah. who london's john a gray right two john grays yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Two John Grays. One wrote, men are from Mars, women are from Venus. I'm not talking about that, John Gray. Um, so who who was an atheist yeah, at the London School of Economics who called out Dawkins and said, listen, buddy, you don't really have any moral basis to say that something like the death of children is wrong. If you really hold to what you're saying in that your other books on biology, because what you're doing is you're, and I think he used the term smuggling from religious moralism. Mm-hmm. It's like, you you, you want to say at the exact same time, that has no basis, but at the exact same time, I'm going to use it because it's once again, convenient. And I couldn't help but think that this interview with Alex O'Connor was the death rattle of new atheism. It's like the last little bit of life that's trying to, you know, push its way forth. But at the end of the day, I think even an, an atheist like like Alex O'Connor totally saw just the emptiness of something like the new atheism in in its biggest character of Richard Dawkins. I, I find the dead that, atheism. Like you said, Wes, that this is kind of the death rattle of new atheism. And I agree because it and it was all the more striking because as soon as Richard Dawkins said, I don't think there are any good arguments, and I, I don't think there's anybody that really you know, presented a really good argument kind of thing. My mind immediately went to this interview that I've seen of Christopher Hitchens. And remember, Christopher Hitchens had actually gone against William Lane Craig at Biola University. And he said, oh yeah, William Lane Craig is a very, very tough opponent. Very, very tough, right? And so here, here is another yeah. new atheist. It was like, actually, you know, William Lane Craig is a really good debater. Um, and then there, so there's that. And then on the other hand, uh, recently, we saw um, a new atheist, Ayan Hirsi Ali, right, from Somalia, who uh, kind of grew up in Islam. She was sort of, I guess, I, I don't know if adopted is the right right word, but she was seen as uh, another sort of a lesser, but still a new atheist figure. And she came out basically- Well, she was supposed to be at the meeting. There was a meeting that solidified the four horsemen of the atheist apocalypse, mm-hmm. which was Sam Harris, Richard Dawkins, Daniel Dennett, and who's the other one? Who am I missing? Did you mention Dawkins? Dawkins, Hitchens. Dawkins, Hitchens, Harris, Sam Harris. And Dennett. Daniel Dennett. Yeah. yeah. Iron Hersey was supposed to be there. Yeah. And I believe the story is that her flight was late. Okay. And that was the meeting that kind of was, so she's like 
an honorary member, mm-hmm. but she wasn't officially at like the the club inception. Yeah, and then lately she came out uh, saying that she was a Christian. And so when you say it's a death rattle of new atheism, that really resonates with me, Wes. Well, it was a thought yeah. that went through my mind as well. And it's something I actually just talked about with my, uh, I'm teaching this college class right now, and I was talking with them about that just yesterday. I was saying, these days, I don't even come across very many atheists. I don't know about you guys, but I really don't. Not like I used to, not when it was being popularized by 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 Dawkins and the like. These days, it, new age is what I'm coming across. I, I come across much, it's much more, more of a religious uh, bent to it than I come across atheism. Yeah. 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 And I think that that, that has the, the, the seeds of new atheism that were planted really grew up to be pretty hopeless fruit that people realized if you're going to tell me I'm just matter in motion, time plus matter plus chance, that there's really no purpose and meaning because we're all going to die at the heat death of the universe anyways, then that doesn't really encourage people to go pursue goals <laughs> or values or, you know, it, and and I think people realize that where they said, you know, we kind of like this this confrontational aspect of these guys. We like they go out and they uh, call it like they say that it is. But at the end of the day, people don't want to feel hopeless. <laughs> they don't want to feel like they don't matter um, or they matter more than their matter. Um, and so I think. I think, and that's why we've really seen this rise in in sort of new age spirituality, because even though it's pretty empty, it also gives some sort of facade of meaning. I would I would agree with you, Wes, although I'm not quite as optimistic, I guess, because what I here's what I would say. I would say on the one hand, I completely agree with you, and I think that's why we have books like this, you know, with 12 different essays yeah. of people who came to faith because of the new atheists, and I've met plenty of people that have come to faith because of the new atheists, right? Be- because of it, of its shallowness, not just in its answers, but in its worldview, which is what, what you're getting mm. after there. Yeah. However, I think there's more going on to this story of why the new atheists are, are out of favor and why Dawkins himself has become out of favor. And that is that the worldview that we're encountering more and more that's uh, an ontology of sexuality, if you will, and particular in extreme individualism, doesn't really have space for atheism. I mean, take transgenderism as an example. If I believe that I am within a transgender worldview, uh, a sex, which is a body, and a gender, which is controlled by the mind, that requires a mm. worldview that allows for dualism of some level— and that those two can be out of sync and that the mind triumphs the body? Well, atheism mm. can't facilitate that. And this is where, by the way, I think a lot of atheists have lost favor uh, in general is because of how cowardly they've been to stand up to culture. They've been triumphal in against Christianity, but in cancel culture, they have been cowardly. But Dawkins, to his credit, has stood up against different ideologies like transgenderism and had, what was it, his Humanism of the Year Award uh, revoked because of that. But I mean, I don't know about you guys, but there's some people like Neil Neil deGrasse Tyson. DeGrasse Tyson, thanks. Whenever people want you to say their middle name is a part, it just just throws me (laughs) off. At any rate, 
so we got him, but we also have, you know, uh, Bill Nye, of course, the science guy. And you're like, you're you're no longer Bill Nye, the science guy. You're Bill Nye, the political guy. Yeah. You don't even hold to what you sure. used to be teaching about, you know, quote unquote, science. I don't know how, what you guys think, but I think this is a big part of why they've lost so much favor. Yeah, I, I think you're right, Andy. I think that's a big component of it. And you even see guys like Sam Harris who have moved way further along on the spectrum of advocating for things like transcendental meditation and um, almost like a, it's not a spirituality, but it, it 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 invokes a lot of the aspects of Eastern mysticism. And you would not have had that. I mean, I don't think what Sam Harris is advocating for now, Dawkins would have any, you know, time of day for. Because I think that the new atheists, who all used to be in this kind of compact group, they've kind of drifted in different directions, and they're not really on the same page anymore. Uh, but I yeah. think Dawkins is trying to. I think he's the last one that's really just trying to hold on to that. And you saw that in this interview with uh, Alex O'Connor in the sense that Alex was really trying to push Dawkins at a few points and saying, you know, can we answer the big questions about the meaning of life or the origin of life, rather, not the meaning of life. And Dawkins kept wanting to fall back to, well, Darwin has answered the question of the origin of species. And that's the big question anyways. And you could see Alex being like, yeah, but you're like five kilometers down the road. Let, let's just talk about that too quickly, because... I think this is another re one of the reasons why the new atheists have lost favor uh, in the society. Mm. You're dealing with the society of the of social justice wokeism, okay? But new atheism doesn't fit well into that in its heavy reliance upon uh, Darwinian evolution, in particular, how quickly and easily that can birth racism of all sorts. And so you have different new atheists like Sam Harris who have been accused of race racism. And who's and and in fact he's doubled down on it though, where he would argue that uh black people, particularly in, in Africa, are not as smart uh on IQ tests and he would be uh as uh, as others, for example, uh with regards to the IQ bell curve, if you guys are unfamiliar with that. And the some of the writing and speaking he's done on this. Yeah, just so we're clear, that's not your view. That's Harris's view, right? <laughs> Thank you. Yes, this is yeah. not my view. This is Harris's view, but it's it's a view that is popularized by a number of different people right now, not just Harris, but but others. And I think that again, that's another one of those kind of things leveled against them. Going, uh, you know, I, I that where people are like, popular. I don't agree with mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, what what's the subtitle to the origin of species that everybody forgets? Right. Yeah. That it's the preservation of the favored races and the struggle life. for life. Yeah. And yeah. I find that interesting that whenever I pick up a copy, most of the time, what I, I in fact I don't remember a time when I picked up a modern copy of On the Origin of Species and have seen the subtitle printed on the cover page. It's always on the inside, like the, the what they call the I think it, it's called the bastard cover page. Uh, part of the language, I think that's just what they call it. Uh, yeah. But it's always there. It's not yeah they've up dropped front. it yeah. Oh, and you can even see now if you go on Amazon, you can see a lot of a lot of them have just dropped the subtitle entirely. Yeah, but. 
that's part of the conversation at play here that uh, it is interesting, by the way, in Andy Bannister's article that he wrote, he was talking a bit about how Dawkins is trying to reinvent himself. He's trying to uh, get outside some of those negative stereotypes that are happening right now, I think. Mm-hmm. And failing. <laughs> yeah. 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 Mm. I, I want to talk about something else, though, that I think is really important about what was expressed in this video that that if you've watched it, we've we've just got to talk about at some level. And that is a little bit deeper. That is that Dawkins does not like Craig and has refused to debate Craig because uh, he sees Craig as being immoral, which again is ironic, as you mentioned, Wes, because, you know, as Dawkins writes, there is no morality. We are just DNA and we dance to it, paraphrasing him. And what was that book uh, out of River? Eden? That was River out of Eden. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, th- there's just irony right there. It's like, well, you don't even think morality exists to begin with, but you're disgusted by by this person because you think he's immoral and thus you refuse to debate him. So, I mean, there, there's a problem right there. But it does raise the question, is this a legitimate concern about Christianity that, you know, that the Old Testament and different books like Joshua and Judges what what do we do with that? Yeah. Well, this is why I think biblical literacy is so important for the average Christian, because I think a lot of Christians know it's in there, but they don't really know how to interact with the subject material and especially the historical framework that that exists in. Uh, I think it was Andy Bannister, actually, who proposed this idea that I, I've I've used in, in in my talk on the problem of evil before, is that if you come to something like the the eradication of the Canaanites in the Old Testament cold, and you, you're not really understanding the context there, it makes for, uh, it, it leads you to a perspective that probably isn't just or right. And so Bannister used the illustration of watching Star Wars, but just watching the part where the rebels destroy the Death Star. And it's like, they're going in there, they're destroying the Death I mean, this is a this is a planet-sized spaceship. You don't know if there are families in there. You don't know if, like... Luke, what did you just do, you genocidal maniac? You just destroyed <laughs> hundreds, if not thousands of people. And they're all like cheering. They're like, woo, yeah, we won. Like, if you didn't understand, help me out, Steve, which movie was that? I'm not a um, Star oh, Wars fan shoot. enough. Uh, the Return of the Jedi, was it? The D- Return of the Jedi? Let's go with it. And then all the all of our <laughs> listeners can get mad at us if we're wrong. Um, the Return of the Jedi. Like, if you didn't have the context of how bad the bad guys were, right. then you could very well say... Luke is a genocidal maniac. The rebels are evil people. Oh, and and just and, the context of the story in general, right? Mm-hmm. Totally. Which goes back to Abraham. No. I mean, the promise that God makes with Abraham is that he's going to give him a land, but he's going to wait 400 years. Why? Because the sins of the Midianites have not come into their full fruition. Yeah. He's like, no, I'm going to give 400 years. I'm going to give multiple generations a chance to repent. And I think that's also really key. One of the things that really stood out in Richard Dawkins's kind of reaction to the story is that the way he used the word sinful, oh, the Midianites were sinful, Mm. so they're going to be slaughtered. And I I just, that nonchalant way of almost this dismissive way of talking about sin and, and knowing that his sort of, lack of depth in philosophy and theology, I don't think he really understands the gravity of that because maybe, and that's one of the reasons why actually uh, in our The Thinking series, 
when Andy was writing this, you specifically refrained from using the word sin because of the cultural baggage that comes with it, all the misunderstandings, right? So you instead decided to use a different word. Yeah, I, use, I tend to use the word evil, but this is a, another one of those ironic moments, right? Where Dawkins, on the one hand, will say that that's evil and he's disgusted by it. Of course, he doesn't think that evil exists. But then mm-hmm. on the flip side, he this is something too that they also talked about is that they is that they're actually uh, attracted to Christianity at some level because when you compare it to the other worldviews, uh, it's actually pretty great. And so then then that causes trouble. But I do appreciate what Dawkins said in response to that, as he said, I, I'm looking for truth. It's critical, but it's also also a very theological standpoint. Why why are you putting truth as the arbiter? As, as your thing. Why? Uh, is It's almost like it's some sort of transcendental logos <laughs> that you're appealing to on the basis of, you know, that's what's going through my head. It's like, okay, why? So what? Mm-hmm. I mean, truth, you literally believe that non-life produced life and that a, a non-mind produced mind, you know, that we get minds from mindless matter. So why are, why even bother pursuing truth? I can... I, I want to encourage Dawkins in that, but I also want to know why he has mm-hmm. that perspective to begin with. And I don't think he can really get to that question yeah. without admitting that there's something to religion and religious philosophy and theology. Yeah, and like it or not, right? I know Richard Dawkins is very much, um, he's a scientist in the sense that he's scientistic, he holds to scientism, the idea that with modern science, you can explain just about everything, right? Some ideal form of physics can exhaustively describe the world that we live in. But what, one thing that we can't get away from is the fact that we all come to the table, even way long before we even start doing science, we bring to the table all of our values, our priorities, our philosophical and theological notions. We may not name them as such, but like you pointed out, like why, why pursue truth? It's a great point. And of course, uh, Alvin Plantinga makes a great critique of that, where he, he he wrote a great book called Where the Conflict Really Lies, where he's challenging a worldview like what Dawkins would hold to, going, well, how how do you even have confidence that you can arrive at truth? And that that this Darwinism that you've put so much hope in has the ability to evolve towards truth. I mean, that 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 is a, uh, that's some wishful thinking, especially given the mechanics that are at play. Now, Kind of going back to what you're talking about, though, uh, uh, Wes, that I think is important for people to appreciate, is there's a bigger story that's going on here with regards to, you know, these moments in Scripture when we read about war. And that's what we're talking about when you read uh, Joshua, for example. You're, you're, you're reading accounts of war, and you need to appreciate, as you were just talking about, you need to appreciate the backstory that's at play. Uh, so, a- as you had just mentioned, but then there's other aspects are at play, and I think Paul Copan does a good job of bringing these out, saying, listen, when you actually read before these wars, God went to drive the people out of the land and used various means to do that, 
And when we come to the war passages themselves, we're dealing with the people that have remained in the land uh, and that, unfortunately, we live in a broken world that evil and you know, sin is a is a part of the world that we live in that I don't think we fully appreciate the depths and the level of the wickedness that are in in our world. Yeah, it's a good point. At the exact same time, though, I think uh, individuals like Alex and and uh, Dawkins want to have their cake and eat it too, in the sense that they want to object to Christianity on the basis of too much evil in the world. But when we look at the Old Testament and see examples where God is actually doing something about the evil in the world, they're like, well, that's not the way I would do it. So it's obviously the wrong way. Right. And you're like, no, <laughs> it, it, God is practically in that sense, although we're thousands of years removed from the ancient Near Eastern context, so we might not realize it, but he's doing something about a culture where rape, where murder, where the sort of uh, presuppositions of slavery and the, the evil that is soaked on the human heart is in full display within their contextual context. Contextual context? That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Societal, <laughs> historical context. Just doubling up on words here. Um, uh, I think is often missed. We want, we, we object to God about not doing enough about the problem of evil, but then when we see examples in scripture where God is doing something, we then point the finger at God and say that he's He's wrong for doing it. Yeah. Notice when we're talking about these two atheists, Alex and Dawkins, that are talking about Christianity and what's, what is their major objection? It constantly comes back to the question of why is there evil? Why is there suffering? Notice they didn't get into these scientific arguments and whatnot. No, the majority of the conversation was about whether or not God's good. Uh, it's just it's just fascinating to me how this is the question from Adam and Eve till now that we struggle with. So I think as we you know come up on an hour, start to think about landing this plane. Um, I, I think one of the things. So if the listener is listening to this and they're thinking, okay, we're talking about all these things and these ideas and these concepts. How, Steve and Andy, how do we think Christianly, how do we encourage the listener to think Christianly about taking these types of conversations which are happening by individuals like Alex O'Connor and Richard Dawkins and transition those into maybe everyday conversations that the listeners might be having on their own? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. Some of the immediate things that come to my mind is just for one, to remind ourselves that people are not simply, merely rational creatures, right? That um, God has designed us in such a way that not only does truth matter, but the good matters, the beautiful matters, right? And there may be something, even, even for somebody like Richard Dawkins, who's so ardently atheist, there are certain things that he cherishes um, he he's longing for the good, I think, as much as he denies it. Uh, I think he's longing for the beautiful. In fact, he's mentioned that he uh, often attends Christmas Eve carol services um, because he just enjoys it, right? Uh, imagine uh, encountering him in a in a church service, right? That <laughs> that should be interesting. Just imagining that. But I think there is a longing there. So what we want to do, I think, is when we talk to people. What are people longing for? And how does Jesus fulfill that longing? 
not only the true, but also the good and the beautiful, um, especially the beautiful. I think that would be key. I know it's a little abstract, but I think that gives you a good framework, I think, of interacting with other people. Just quickly and practically, I think Alex actually modeled a really good posture of being able to look at something from two different perspectives, looking at atheism and and the good arguments that it can and does put forward, and and then also looking at the theistic Christian worldview in particular and the good arguments that it puts forward, and how can I appreciate both, and ultimately as we are seeking, what is what is the truth? And to do that in a way that is uh, coherent and that is robust and that's being honest. And so ultimately, this is this is what we're what we're after. And and I, I constantly want to come at this thing from like a parental perspective and going, I want to help my kids to be able to navigate, you know, YouTube videos well and the like when they're when they're coming across this content that they can appreciate the bigger conversation that's at play. Well, I, I think this is a good place to wrap up. Thank you so much, listeners, for joining us today on this week's edition of the AC Podcast. The AC Podcast is a ministry of Apologetics Canada. So find us on whatever your favorite platform is, like and subscribe and all that good stuff and help us, you know, uh, climb the ladders of whatever our algorithmic overlords have put, put there for us. <laughs> but uh, I hope you have a wonderful rest of the week and we'll come back next week with with more stuff to think about. Until then, you know the drill. Love God and love people. It's the AC Podcast. Podcast. Podcast.